So about six months into being senior pastor here at The Vine in 2013, I had what could only be described as a full-on panic attack. I woke up one morning and uh, immediately as I opened my eyes, it felt like a tsunami of fear and of anxiety was just flooding over me. I, I was lying there in bed and the whole room around me was just beginning to spin. I was so hot. My heart rate was, was pounding and I was sweating all over despite the fact that the aircon in our room was just blasting out. And I, I felt completely out of control. I wondered whether I was going to be able to catch a breath and what was going to happen. I, I managed to just get out of my bed and literally just stumble towards the bathroom whereupon I kind of opened up the toilet and I was sick in the toilet. I threw up literally in the toilet. And in that moment, I felt like this overwhelming sense of fear, almost to a degree like, like paranoia, like, like everything that I was trusting, everything that I was hoping in, everything seemed to be shattered in that moment. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to find my feet again, how to find that ground again. And I was there on the bathroom floor. I began to understand what was taking place, that this panic attack wasn't just a random thing, but it was the result of so many months of bottling up how I was feeling. I realized that this was connected to my role as senior pastor here at The Vine. You know, I, I, I had been struggling for months up until that point with a huge amount of self-doubt in my life a huge amount of anxiety, self-doubt, and it's sort of insecurity in who I was. I, I knew that God had called me to be senior pastor here at the church. And I had been so wonderfully prepared by our elders, by John and Tony, our founding senior pastors here. I mean, I was ready on paper to step into this role. And, and when I stepped in on that day in November 2013, I had all those prayers, just like we prayed for Elizabeth just a minute ago. I felt this wave of just God's spirit in me. But it's so fascinating how quickly that was drained from me as I began to focus on my lack or my inability to do the thing that God had called me to do. I was putting so much of my energy in those few months to pretending on the surface in front of everybody, standing in front of you every week, that I'm this great pastor, that I've got it all together, that everything's going to be great, whereas inside I was dying. Inside I thought I was a failure. Here was the main thought that went through my head in that first six months. John and Tony had done such an amazing job of building such a strong, well-established, great church. And here I was now with that whole church on my shoulders, all that expectations and all that pressures. And I, and I thought, what if I'm the guy who 12 months down the line, the church goes from the size it is and it reduces down to like a hundred or so people. What if I'm the one who actually fails in leading this church? They've done such a great job and now it's on my shoulders and I felt like I wasn't up to the task. And that wave of tension in me between living two different lives, a secret life of anxiety and insecurity that no one knew about, and a public persona that I had everything all right and that I was doing fine and that I could lead this church. Those two things created in me such a tension that on that morning, it just exploded in me. Well, for the next number of days and the weeks ahead, I found myself thinking to myself, if, if people spend enough time with me, they'll realize that I'm completely out of my depth. And so what that made me do was begin to slowly at first and then quickly withdraw myself from people. 
I began in my trauma of the insecurity and anxiety that I was feeling to step away from people, kind of wall myself off. I thought if I can just create my own little private sense of some false sense of security and comfort by walling others away from me, maybe I can get control again. And so I began to distance myself from close relationships that had a strain on my marriage. I began to distance myself from people that I was supposed to be ministering to, uh, from social settings. I didn't want to spend time with people because I thought if people would spend time with me, they would actually know that I am the failure, that I am the one that I thought deep down inside I was. And I was carrying that tension with me, isolating myself from my community, and it eventually just kind of boiled over. There was one evening where the, the tension was so strong that I was like, I have to tell my wife, Chris. Like, I, I have to let her in to this pain. I can't carry the pressure anymore. I took her out on a date night. It wasn't the kind of date nights that normally you would expect. I took her out for this meal and we sat down um, and it was this public restaurant. And as soon as we sat down, I just started to weep. You know, those moments where you don't plan to cry, but you suddenly just start weeping in this public space. And I'm just, I'm like a grown man weeping and I can't control myself. And Chris is sitting there kind of going, what is going on? And I got the courage to, to say to her, honey, I'm I'm really suffering right now. I'm sinking in the pressure of leading this church. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I've got the strength or the skills. I don't think I'm a very good pastor. I began to give her a list of all the things. And the biggest thing that was scaring me was that if I failed, everybody would leave and desert me. And I said to her, I said, honey, if I fail with leading the vine, if the church dies and disintegrates under my leadership, Will you still love me? That was how insecure I was. I thought that her love for me was based on my success and my achievements. And Chris, in the beautiful way that only she can, leant forward, put her hand on my hands. And she says, no matter what happens in your life, Andrew, whether you have great success or great failure, I will never stop loving you. And then she said, but you cannot do this alone. You cannot do it in isolation from others. The thing you actually need the most is the thing that you're walking away from, that you need to come out and be known. You need to let people know how you're feeling. The church will support you. We're here for you. And half of what you think is going to happen is not going to happen anyway. And she started to comfort me with a challenge to not isolate, but to embrace the people around me. Well, that, that evening was a turning point for me. And I've been on a, a journey of healing ever since. It's seven years in. I'm, I think I'm still on that journey of healing, although I've, I've learned so much and I've grown so much. And you may wonder, uh, one of the things that I think I'm known for in leadership is my authenticity and my vulnerability. That's not come just because I've tried to do it. It's come because I've had to reach deep inside of me and be courageous in being known in front of you. I realize that I cannot carry the burdens of this ministry on my own. And so I, I bring them to you regularly as a church as a way of me saying, I will not isolate myself. That actually, I think it's in community. It's when we're courageous enough to truly be known in our brokenness and our hurt and all the things that we're struggling with that we actually can find the greatest moments of our healing. Some of you watching this right now, you've 
isolated yourselves from people around you. You walled yourself off thinking that that's the place to find your comfort and security. And I want to speak a message to you today. If that's you, because it's been me and it still is me at some times. If that resonates with you, I want to call you once again into a place of being known by the people around you. Ask any psychologist, ask any sociologist, anthropologist. They'll tell you the same thing. They'll say that no one ever grows, transforms, changes, or develops for the positive in isolation from others. In fact, like I experienced in my own life, the opposite is true. Some of the greatest moments of breakdown in our physiology and our psychology happens because we isolate ourselves from a community around us. If you're willing to put yourself into a place where you're open and vulnerable with people, where you can truly be known by them, where you can grow in the safety and security of their friendship and love, some of the greatest moments of growth and flourishing will happen to you. But cut those things away. Wall yourself off. Retreat because maybe you're embarrassed or ashamed, or maybe something's happening and trauma in your life to such a degree that it makes you shut down. Do that, and you'll find yourselves moving in the opposite direction of growth, change, and transformation. Here's the great irony of trauma. Trauma does its very best to remove, to to kind of take away community from you. And, And the tension and irony is this, when you need community the most is when you actually feel like you desire it the least. When we're so overwhelmed with trauma, when we're so overwhelmed by the pressures of life, that's when we actually need to reach out towards others. But it's the time where we desire it the least. We want to walk in the opposite way. I think this is one of the greatest strategies of the enemy over us. We isolate ourselves when times are tough. I think over 2020, we all did this to a certain degree. Look, we all had to physically distance each other. And that was an important thing. It was the right thing as part of the pandemic that we've been going through. But alongside of physical distancing came something else. I call it social distancing. Not the way that people used to promote social distancing. I think it's okay to physically distance with this pandemic. But what's come alongside of that is a desire in us to actually begin to distance ourselves emotionally from those around us. Beginning to distance ourselves, uh, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually from from the ones that mean the most to us in our lives. We found ourselves with this growing sense of social anxiety during this time, where, where we don't want to catch this disease. And if some someone's caught the disease, they're suddenly like a little bit of an outcast in society. It's like, oh, don't go near that person because you might get infected. And here's a phenomenon that's happened during the time of 2020. Did you know, statistics show that divorce has arisen much higher in number than at any time prior to the pandemic. Because here's the reality. People know what it's like to live in their marriage, just basically doing surface things with their partner throughout the week. But you throw them 24-7 in, in a house together where they can't leave, and tensions have begun to emerge. And this, this is a challenge to us because I think when times are tough, when things are stressful, when things are hard, we begin to grate against some of those relationships in our lives. We begin to find it hard to actually connect with people. We find it hard to express the emotions and be honest about what we're going through. And so we actually put up a front and we get angry and irritable and begin to rub against each other in the wrong way. And so we naturally distance ourselves or we begin to upset. So some of you watching this, you know this. Your marriage is in maybe the hardest place it's been in for many years. Some of you know this because of your workplace. You, you found you, you've got breakdowns in relationships in your work. I think for us here in Hong Kong, it's magnified because of everything we've been through in the last two years politically in the city. Now, not only have we had this pandemic, which has caused us at times to have fractions and frictions with our closest people that we're in relationship with, 
We've also got all this political anxiety and all the change that's happening here politically and everybody's opinions and thinkings about that and the way that that has also deeply divided our families, deeply divided us from our relationships, deeply created issues for us, perhaps with those that we've come to love the most. I want to speak this over us as a church. I believe as we enter into 2021, we have a great opportunity right before us. It's been prepared by the Holy Spirit for this moment and this hour. And the opportunity is this, that we would actually see that trauma could be a catalyst towards a deepening of the most important relationships in our lives, rather than a fraction and a division in them. That maybe actually post-traumatic growth might say to us that actually it's in traumatic experiences where we can have a wake-up call and realize that we need to actually reach out and beyond, even though it feels like the last thing we want to do, that actually maybe the right thing to do is to actually open ourselves up and be known and honest about all the things that are in our lives because we need to have that healing that can only come through being deeply in relationship with others. The research through post-traumatic growth has suggested that often people who have gone through crazy traumatic times prior to the trauma, they put relationships pretty low down on the list of things that were important. Maybe at the top was work. Maybe it was career. Maybe it was making money. Maybe it was doing projects and putting in success. But right in the middle of their trauma, they realized that actually the relationships that they suddenly needed the most were distant from them because they had pushed those relationships away. And that actually trauma was an awakening time for them to realize that as they came out of that trauma, they needed to double down on the most important relationships in their lives. One of the people that was interviewed recently said it this way. He said, I came out of trauma realizing that it's people over projects. My good friend Josh that we've been talking about a little bit in this series, I think manifested this so powerfully. Josh had always been someone who put people over projects, but his trauma of the two years of his journey with cancer put himself in a realization that actually the relationships around him were the most important thing. And he invested so beautifully and so heavily in those important relationships. Even ones that were quite strained became renewed and rejuvenated through the work of the Spirit in the midst of his trauma. And I know that just before he passed away, one of the things that he was so proud of was how deep his marriage was, how deep his relationships was with his parents, how deep he he was in terms of kind of uh, reconciling some of the broken relationships he'd had in his life. It was a joy to him to find community in the midst of trauma. Jesus understood this better than anyone. Jesus understood that there was a powerful connection between trauma and healing that could only come through community. And I want to actually just share um, a, a story from Scripture today that draws out the beauty of what it is to find community in the midst of our trauma. And that community could actually be a catalyst for us for our greatest amount of healing and growth as human beings. I want to take this story from Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 40. Let me read this to us. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. 
But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had been touched, uh, why she had touched him, and how she was now instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Luke recounts for us this moment. It's kind of just a, a random moment in Jesus' ministry. He's just walking and ministering in the crowds of Galilee. And I think every day he had requests and people coming to him, asking him for all sorts of things. And here's Jairus saying, hey, would you come to my house and heal my daughter? Jesus walking on the way to do that. And a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she comes forward. She pushes her way through the crowd. She reaches out and just grabs the hem of Jesus' garment. And immediately, instantly, she's healed. Luke describes a few things about this woman. He says that she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, it's not specifically stated in the text, but this is likely to be a uterine hemorrhage. It was a relatively embarrassing, a relatively shameful thing to have. And she had spent a lot of money trying to heal herself over that period of time, but nothing had helped her. Now, the thing that's really important to know about this, that's implicit in the text and not explained directly here uh, in the words Luke uses, is that because of her bleeding, she was actually deemed to be unclean by society, both the Jewish and social society of the day. Her, her bleeding meant that she was ceremonially unclean, that anybody she touched and anybody who touched her would also automatically then be unclean. Now, the way you get yourself from being unclean to clean again was actually a long process of religious ritual. It required the cleansing of you. It required all these prayers. It required you going before a priest and a priest anointing you and declaring that you are clean again. It wasn't an easy thing. And so if you were deemed to be unclean, all of society would stay away from you. They would distance themselves from you. They would say that this person out here is one that if we touch, we'd have to go through all that. So they would push that person away. You can imagine for this lady herself, she's been subject to this for 12 years. And not only is there shame in her own physical brokenness, the fact that she can't heal herself and stop the bleeding, but there's an even deeper and greater shame about the distancing that everybody's done around her. She's alone. She's cast out. She's pushed aside and her trauma is both the community leaving her, but also I believe her then distancing herself from the community. You can almost imagine her walling herself off and saying, well, if they're going to treat me like that, well, then I'm just going to distance myself and a hardness coming over her in that way. I mean, this is a woman who's had to carry this kind of trauma for over 12 years. And there's habits that have formed in her where she will never go out in a crowd. She will never find her in public. She would retreat and live her own life separate and isolated from everyone else, except for this day. Because on this day, she hears that Jesus is coming past. And, and she's heard stories about Jesus. She's heard stories about his healing and his power. She's heard conversations that he's not just a rabbi, but a prophet. And despite the reality that she lives her life distant from others and avoids crowds, she fights her way through the crowd in order to receive the healing that she believed that she could receive. Notice, if she touched someone, they would become unclean. She would have had to fight her way, touching many people to get towards where Jesus was. Not only that, but she reaches out to touch 
Jesus, believing that someone so pure and so beautiful and so holy and so powerful as this rabbi, if she could touch him, he might be able to touch her and cleanse her and renew her and heal her and establish her again as a true person in her community. The courage to do this is unbelievable. I mean, the risk she took that day to fight through the crowd just blows my mind. This is like if somebody was like a COVID positive person and they were getting on the MTR in rush hour and they let everybody know around them that they were COVID positive. Can you imagine what the crowd would do to that person here in Hong Kong in this time? They would scream, there would be panic, everybody would move out of the way, nobody would want to get anywhere near that person. That's the woman here. She was risking the crowd, understanding that she was unclean and all the hostility that would happen. She was willing to risk that in order to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. The Bible tells us here that as she touched him, immediately she was healed. Note this, immediately she was healed. Now, this is really important for what's about to happen next. There's not a progress in her healing here. This is not like another time where where Jesus spat on the mud and put it on the eyes and the person couldn't see properly and then he prayed again and suddenly they were healed. There's no journey in healing for this woman. She's immediately, the, the, the emphasis in the Greek is on the moment that it happened. It happened straight away. 12 years of shame and trauma and ridicule immediately removed in the physical healing that she suddenly experienced in that moment. But this is important because of what happens next. Jesus stops. He knows that power has gone out from him. And he says these words. He says, who touched me? It seems like a pretty kind of like not that big deal of a statement, right? Like he's just like, who, who touched me? But there were so many crowds around him, so many people pushing in on him that Peter goes, what, what are you talking about, man? What do you mean? You t- look, look at everybody. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pushing in on you. And he's like, no, no, no. Someone touched me. I, I know power has gone out. Who touched me? Here's what I think Jesus is doing in this moment. He realizes about this woman. He's the son of God. He knows exactly what's taking place. He knows everything about this woman. He knows how she's fought through the crowds. And he knows how she's come out and touched him. And he's standing there and before the crowds, he's intentionally creating space for her to have the courage to come forward and be known. You see, Jesus could have turned around and said, hey, you lady, you who touched me, come forward. But he doesn't do that. He instead says, who touched me? It's his way of saying to her directly, will you have the courage to make yourself known? Now, the woman didn't need to do it. Remember that Luke has told us that immediately she'd been healed. She didn't need to come forward for her physical healing. It wasn't like she was still wondering whether she had actually been restored and maybe I should go forward just to get the fullness of my healing. No, no, the Bible had told us immediately she'd been healed. Just as anonymously as she had touched the garment and received the thing that she had come from, she could have anonymously then just walked away. She could have just escaped the crowd and gone in the other direction. And no one would have known other than Jesus that that would happen. There was no reason for her to step forward unless there was another piece of healing she needed to receive. Get this church. Jesus calls her out, not just because he wants her to receive her physical healing, but because she want, he wants her to see and feel her social healing as well. 
Because it was her bleeding that had caused her to be cut out from the very crowd that she had just fought through. And in him saying, hey, come forward now, what he's doing is creating space for her to actually walk into a place where she can stand in front of that community and testify to the reality that God has actually cleaned her, that she has been restored by him into community. The Bible tells us that rather than walking in the other direction anonymously, she steps forward before Jesus. She comes and she falls at his feet. And in front of all the crowd, she tells everybody why she pushed through the crowd, why she grabbed the hem of the garden, the the healing she had received. And she confesses it before everybody. She takes the great courage to be known. I, I think, church, this is one of the greatest examples of courage that we have in the New Testament. Not only did she have the faith originally to touch the hem of the garment, but now she's decided to push through the crowd once more and stand before everybody and confess the ugliness of her trauma and the reality that she has been so hurt by everybody around her. And yet now the one who's healed her is in her midst. I want you to see how Jesus responds to her in front of everybody. First of all, he says, daughter, He addresses her daughter. There's no other time in the Gospels where Jesus speaks to a woman and uses this title. This is the only example in all of the Gospel stories that Jesus addresses a woman and calls her daughter. The the word actually was an incredibly intimate word. It was a word that was only reserved and used for a father speaking to his biological child. Jesus stands in front of everybody and says, you're not just somebody I know. You're not just a friend of mine. You're not a disciple even. You're intimately part of my family. Like I am so here with you. You're my daughter whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. A similar kind of thing that, Jesus, that God said over Jesus at his baptism. Here's Jesus addressing this woman who has been so isolated by community for 12 years. And he's saying, you are in the middle of the most intimate community you could ever have. Restoration in your relationship with your father, with me, with your God. You're my daughter. And then in front of everybody, He says, your faith has healed you. I think Jesus is speaking there of both her faith to push through that crowd right at the beginning, but also her faith to push through the crowd on the second time and stand before everybody and testify to her brokenness and her healing. The woman had the courage to be known and that faith healed her. Jesus uses those words on purpose because he wants all the crowd to know that she has received both her physical and her social healing, that where they had to be distant from her before, they can now draw close. And where she, if she had slipped away from the crowd anonymously that day, would have continued to live a habit of isolation, she now was being challenged to stand in front of everyone and welcome people into her journey so that she could be healed, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually in her community. Jesus was passionate about relationships. And Jesus understood that healing was so much more than just physical. I want to speak to you right now in this moment. Where has it been in this last little while that you've been experiencing, all that we've been experiencing in this pandemic, where have you begun to isolate and distance yourself from others? Where have you allowed your emotions that you're carrying at this time to wall you off from the people that you love the most? For those of you who are struggling in your marriages right now, where have you put up walls with your partner 
because of the intensity of what you guys have been going through together. Maybe I want to say this as well. I believe that there are some people watching this where there's a secret sin that's been going on in your life. A little bit like for me, where there's the secretness of my insecurity. And on the surface in front of the church, I was the best pastor I could be, but inside I was dying and that tension boiled over to a panic attack. I think there's some people watching this right now and that resonates for you. There's a secret sin. There's something that you're doing that nobody else knows about and it's hidden. And because of that, you've, you've been ashamed of who you are. You're ashamed of what you've done. And yet I believe God's standing before you today like he did that woman. And he's saying, who touched me? Like, are you willing to come out of the shadows and make yourself known? That your healing, that you actually long for, you don't want to feel the way you do inside. You don't want to feel caught up and in battle in your spirit inside. You don't want to feel the panic and the anxiety and the shame anymore. No, you actually do want to be known. But remember what I said at the beginning, trauma fights to rip community from us. The irony is when we need it the most, we want it the least. That's how you're feeling right now. But I want to say this, God creates a space for you in his grace. It's a space for you. He's not going to force you, but he invites you to step into that space and say, you know what? Not everything is right inside. You know what? I've been carrying some stuff that I aren't proud of. You know what? It's been hard lately. You know what? I've been struggling. You know what? I need help. I mean, I need to respond in some way. Today, this message is a grace space for you. A chance for you to come out of the shadows and come into the light to begin to repair some of the broken relationships around you by being honest and humble, being real and taking courage. It's going to require a lot of courage for you to do this. It's not going to be an easy thing. But we've got a lot of ways here at The Vine where you can receive the help that you need, where you can be reestablished and reconnected into community. At five o'clock today, we have a group of pastors that every Sunday are prepared to pray and minister to you. They're available today. And maybe for some of you, that's a step forward. That's like you coming out of the crowd and going, you know what? I need prayer. You know what? I need help. I can't get through this on my own. For some of you, maybe it's the the need for your community group to come around you. If you're in community group, maybe there's a community group leader who can stand with you and pray for you. I want to encourage you to reach out to your community group leader this week. If you're not in a community, but you want someone to come around you and pray for you here at The Vine and you're not available today to be able to do that, email pastoralcare at thevine.org.hk. Pastoralcare at thevine.org.hk. And that will open you up for one of our pastors to reach out to you, to connect with you and to pray for you. We have an amazing team of counselors here at The Vine called Oasis who are loving and willing to stand with you and pray for you and to actually walk with you in counseling. When I eventually uh, confessed to Chris how I was feeling, and began to move into a place of that healing, I went into counseling for, for almost a two-year period, walking with a counselor on a weekly basis to receive the healing that I needed and the growth that I needed. Maybe that's part of your journey too. I want to pull all this together and I want to I encourage you and challenge you uh, by speaking something that I think is important for each one of us to understand as we draw this to a close. Let me, let me say this over us. As we learn to walk together in open, broken, and vulnerable relationships, caring for one another as we discuss our struggles and issues, and rejoicing together in our victories and our healing, we are going to see personal growth in each one of us like never before. That's my, that's my heart for you, church, that you would grow out of the trauma that you're feeling in a way that you connect in a deeper level with relationships around you like never before. 
like the woman in the story that we looked at today? Will you hear God calling you out of the midst of the trauma that you're in right now and inviting you forward to be known? And will you, like the woman, step forward? That's my challenge. That's my, my offer to you today to step forward into the arms of God's grace again and to be reestablished in those deepest relationships and to know that out of them will come the greatest amount of growth and healing from your trauma. Let me pray for us, church. Let's pray. Father, we just are so grateful for this moment. So grateful that we get to stand together as a fellowship and as a community. And Lord, we recognize that so often we do retreats from the amazing people that you've put around us. That so often in our anxiety and our stress and our trauma, we turn inwards rather than outwards. We recognize that we put up barriers and walls to keep people out at times. And Father, some of us have done that consciously and some of us do that subconsciously. But Lord, it creates a barrier from the thing that actually is going to provide the greatest amount of healing for us. The men and women that you've put in our lives to love us and care for us. And so Lord, we come to you in this moment, humble before you, realizing that in the midst of the crowd, you make a space and you don't force us, but in your grace, you say, will you step forward and be known? And I know from my own journey, being known before, first of all, my wife, and then being known before the church in the years ahead has been the the thing that's really helped to strengthen my healing. And Father, I, I believe that's going to be the same for many listening to this today. Lord, where the enemies had a strategy to keep things in the dark. Father, I want to pray over those particularly that are struggling with secret sin, with stuff that's going on in their lives that no one knows about, but is tearing them up inside. Lord, the enemy will create a strategy of of shame and fear. Oh, what if people knew that? They wouldn't be your friend anymore. And like that prayer I said to Chris, I said, if I fail, will you still love me? Those are the the tricks that the enemy so often plays in our minds when we're dealing with secret sin. Oh, if somebody knew this about me, they would never accept me ever again. Father, we stand against that in the name of Jesus. And we pray the love of Christ of every person watching this right now. And Lord, where the enemy would try to cut us off from one another. Father, we pray for a release of your spirit upon your people that anyone who's walking in darkness today would look up towards the light and would like that woman have the courage to take the risk to step forward this week. Whether that's with a pastor here at the Vine, their community group leader, maybe it's their spouse, maybe it's a prayer partner that they're comfortable with, but they're willing to step forward and reach out and say, I will be known. So Father, we pray for the power of your spirit to be at work for each person on that journey this week. And we thank you for the relationships you've placed around us. Lord, may they be great wisdom and strength and encouragement and power to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen.